Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Acts 4 verse 32. We have been speaking about the whole issue of giving and its connection to the grace of God. And we said that grace uh, in its essence knows how to give. Grace constitutionally beckons to give out from itself. So the essence of grace always seeks to bless another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, there are two whole chapters that Paul devotes to the whole ideal of financial offerings. In there, especially in those two chapters, the word grace appears seven times. So you cannot understand financial giving without a consideration for the grace of God. And I said to you, one of the aspects is this, that if one is full of grace, then... To obey God is not up to you, but up to the grace of God in you that allows you to please Him. So even in the matter of giving, if I say giving is an expression of obedience, then if you want to obey God and by giving finances, blessing people, honoring God with tithes, first fruits, offerings, blessing people, helping somebody out, if you're going to be benevolent, and if you're going to ever come to a place of extreme generosity, you're going to have to understand the grace of God in you. Because left to yourself, you cannot do that. The unrenewed man wants to hoard, wants to keep, is reluctant to give, is stingy, is a miser. But the graceful man is the generous man. Tell that to someone. The graceful man is the generous man. Come on, tell someone. The graceful man is the generous man. So we give from the platform of grace, and every time we do that, the giving itself, biblically, is a powerful means to access grace. So all giving is prompted by grace and positions the giver to access more grace. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. But that verse is said to who? It's said to those who? Who are givers. Okay, please remember that I give from grace and the giving itself positions me to access more grace. Okay, so one cannot claim to be full of grace. One of the ways you demonstrate that is by generosity, is by your generous disposition. Okay, I have demonstrated to you variously this principle that you give from grace to access more grace. Yeah, and I don't want to go through and rehearse that. Uh, we've done nine sessions in reference to it. This is our 10th session in reference to the series. What I want to do today is talk about giving, but giving truthfully. Everyone say give truthfully. We've discussed give gracefully or give graciously for the past almost few sessions. Now I want to talk to you about giving truthfully. But I haven't yet completed discussing with you giving gracefully. I just felt we needed to perhaps talk about this first, and in it I will wrap up that whole idea of giving from a platform of grace. I want to read this text. 
and the congregation, Acts 4.32 onwards. If you're making notes, it's Acts 4.32, and we're going to read right into chapter 5 up to verse 16 of chapter 5. You've got to understand this holistically. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Everyone say, one heart, one soul. And not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. So there was an awareness of the needs of others within the corporate group. Nobody here was selfish. Everybody was focused on what is the need corporately. Verse 33, And with great power the apostles were giving testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Everyone say abundant grace. Now that's the kind of grace I'm after. It's grace that is abundant and grace that's not individual. It's abundant grace that is corporate. It's not on some, everyone say all. It's like abundant grace upon them, them all. Okay? We will never get to that place, by the way, if we don't master oneness. We don't master oneness. Remember I spoke to you about Elon Beth Hanan? Okay? One of the cities that one of the deputies of Solomon was in charge of. And that's the oak of the house of grace or the house of the generous giver, it's also known as. Okay? And I want to encourage you, if grace prompts giving, listen, if grace is the prompter of giving, if a giving is to be abundant, grace is to be abundant. If abundant grace flows from community, oneness, hospitality, love, warmth, we've got to foster that, that principle that leads to the, the other result. Amen? Everyone say abundant grace. For abundant giving. If you have niggy niggy grace, you have niggy niggy giving, right? Small grace. So I, w- I want to be known as a graceful man, a grace abundant man, a grace enriched man. Okay? Then it says in verse 34, for there was not merely there was not a needy one person among them, for all what owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. Would be and they would be distributed to each as had need. I really believe we're getting back to this culture. God's been speaking to me about this myself, right? So any any money put at feet, you see, money put at feet is different to money put in the hand. They're putting it at the feet, and feet give mobility. What they were saying is, we want the apostolic work to gain momentum. The work of the Lord must must proceed, and if we need to be consciously aware of the needs of each other in the house corporately. Um, then we need to create a vehicle by which that could be done. That, however, does not limit you from helping your brother out. Right? When, and when you see, if and when you see the, the need arise. Okay, this is very, very important. Everyone say accuracy. I've never been more focused on accuracy like I have been presently. We must be accurate in all things. And if, if I, as a leader, am receiving first fruits or, or, or special gifts from various people, I must discern my seed portion and my, my bread portion. I'll talk to you about that later. Verse 36. Now, Joseph. Everyone say Joe. There's this brew here called Joe, right? Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. Question, was Barnabas recipient of ministry from the apostles? Yes. They renamed him. What is in a renaming? A renaturing. When they rename him, it's not to change a name just because they don't like 
the word Joseph, the renaming is to rename him according to his destiny and function, which they with apostolic lenses or eyes can see. So they name him, no more Joseph, no more, you will not be known as he to whom God adds, but now you will be known as Barnabas, which means what? A son of encouragement. And did he not fulfill the mandate? Yay, this big time he did it. When the church was scattered and certain believers went down to Antioch, remember? They preached the word and many believed, the scripture says. Church started to be formed. All the apostles stayed at Jerusalem. Most of them never left Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like their headquarters. When they heard what was breaking out in Antioch, they sent who? Barnabas down. You know what the Bible says? When Barnabas came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God. Everyone say, he saw the grace of God. Love that text. In other words, grace has got visible, transformative, external effects. Grace can be seen in terms of how it transforms the life. He came and says, wow, believers. And what the Bible says Barnabas did? With, with, with all of his heart, he, the Bible says, he greatly did what? He greatly encouraged the believers to remain resolute and true to the Lord. He greatly encouraged them. Why? The apostles renamed him. Barnabas, in the renaming, was an impartation of the gift of encouragement. So he goes to fulfill a mandate. Okay? The point I'm driving at is he was a recipient of grace from an apostolic source. Everyone say recipient of grace. So exposure to apostolic ministry gives apostolic grace, which is very different from prophetic evangelistic, teaching, and pastoral grace, according to Ephesians 4, all fivefold offices have grace. But the grace vested in an apostle is designed to mature you. I'll show you in a moment. Everyone say mature you. So we, we function apostolically. I believe all churches should. And the, and the issue here is, are you maturing? Are you growing up into the image and the nature of Christ? That's our cry. Mature, grow up, grow into Him. In all things, according to Ephesians. Okay? And so he has got the grace of God in him, given to him through the renaming of his person by apostles, which he later would fulfill, as we've seen. And then, verse 37, he owned it. Now, this guy, same guy, right? He owned a track of land. He sold it and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay? Now, it's an amazing study to track Barnabas after this point. He gave financially to the feet of the apostles to fast-track apostolic work in his day. He moved. Everyone say moved. His finances moved divine purpose, and God moved him next. When you financially move the purposes of the Lord, the Lord will move you into your destiny. How do I know that? Just quickly, I won't go through, this demands a whole session just by itself. I'll give you a brief overview. He's sent by the apostles in Acts 11 down to strengthen the new believers in Antioch. And you know what? When he came, he saw the grace of God. Who does he go look for, by the way? Immediately. He looks for Saul of Tarsus. And he brings Paul, previously Saul, not accepted by most apostles. Barnabas was the... the, 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 the paver of the way for Paul's ministry. 
and he brings Paul with him, and he persuaded Paul to stay with him in Antioch for one whole year. For one whole year ministering, strengthening the believers. Then there was a huge prophecy given that there will be famine in certain parts of Judea. The apostles at Jerusalem gathered some relief offerings, food and other parcels, to send down to the brethren. And who do they send it with? It says it was sent by the hands of Paul and Barnabas. Before they had an apostolic sending, they had to prove themselves faithful with natural things. Right? Remember, they would be sent in Acts 13. So they're faithful to minister substance and relief to, to the brethren suffering the severity of the famine in, in Judea. By Acts 13, by the time you read Acts 13, it says, Acts 13 verse 1 and 2 says, Now there was at the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, among whom were Paul, Barnabas, Simon, Niger, Lucius. And then it says this, And as they ministered unto the Lord and prayed, the Bible says, The Lord said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Go one back. There was at the church certain, what? Say prophets and teachers. And then five names are mentioned. And Barnabas and, and Saul's name are included in the five, right? Now, there's Barnabas there, Saul there, amongst five leaders. These are five leaders over not a local church. Antioch is a city church, right? And the Bible says this, they were either prophets or teachers. I believe Paul was more the teacher, and I believe Barnabas was more prophetic by virtue of the meaning of his name. is a son of, and according to 1 Corinthians 14, it says, He who prophesies must seek to edify, exhort, and comfort. So we can draw some conclusions here. And so then, in verse 2, the Holy Spirit speaks to the group, I believe not through the ceiling, through one of the prophets here. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Barnabas and Saul, God has a special work for you. Verse 3. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands upon them, and they sent them. Everyone say, they sent them. Verse 4, quickly. I'm going to rush here. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse 3. Who sent who? They. Who's they? The other three sent the two. Not so? They sent them. Go back to the next verse. So being sent out by the? So were the three acting under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost? Yes. It was man sending, but men were only acting representationally of God's heart, right? So the word sent is apostello. Literally, God is saying to these two, I apostle you. I send you. Apostle is a sent, is a sent one. So suddenly the character of both Barnabas and Paul's ministry starts to change from either being prophet, teacher, to now being a sent one. You know, one thing I learned greatly in the previous conference, you grow into apostleship. It might be set from the time of your birth and even before time began. But any ministry pattern, you grow into it. And you can see faithfulness in little. They were faithful with distributing parcels to those suffering in a famine. Now, God, I can send you with the true resource to feed the nations of the earth. Right? And so they go. They sent them. Right? Now, I won't read this whole text, but it's a good study. Read the whole of Acts 13. Then in Acts 14, they go to various cities. All the cities are listed. Acts 14, verse 4, quickly. I think it's verse 4. 
know it's a bit of a sidetrack here, but I think this is important for you to understand. The people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some with the... The reference here is they're talking about Paul and Barnabas' efforts in various cities. There was some contention, so immediately the Bible calls them what? Apostles. But Acts 13, they were just prophets or teachers. If you cannot, and there's no grading, by the way. There's not one that's less than the other. All parts of Christ are equal. The prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the apostle in Christ, they're all given grace as expressions of the nature of Christ himself. Verse 14, quickly. Verse 14. 14. But when the apostles, again, a confirmation, the apostles, Barnabas and... Can you see it? Right? Can you see how they grow into this ministry? And you know, when I think of this, God spoke to me. Where did the process start for Barnabas? Where did the process start? Go back to Acts 4. The text we read there, uh, Keegan. Acts 4 and verse 37. What started, what kick-started that process? A financial offering. Listen to me carefully. That's why I'm, you see, if you don't understand the pattern in Scripture, when I say give, you are thinking loss. You are not thinking prophetically. This potentially, I will move the purposes of God in the apostles, and then God moves me into my destiny. Barnabas doesn't just arrive there overnight. I believe in this principle that a significant financial offering has, the, has a catalytic power. It's catalytic, it's actual in its effect. It can set you off on a, on, on, on a tangent of growth. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Barnabas gave to the feet of the apostles, moving the purposes of God, and the next move was his. His wasn't a tithe. His was not a 10%. His was total. He gave 100%. He sold a piece of land, and the Bible says he took all the proceeds and he laid it at the apostles' feet. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a spiritual prophetic perception about money and what it's designed to do within kingdom structure, you will always be limited and be bound by, by spirits of, 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 of meager giving, giving the least, giving without understanding, etc. Amen? So tell you never give to God and God will move you. If you give to move the purposes of God, God will move you. You can see this in Barnabas's life. Yeah? You can see this wonderful um, act of generosity that Barnabas gave. Okay, that's all and well and good. That's not my message though. This was the sideline detour. <laughs> I want to get to Acts 5. The next verse, right, starts like this. Now, you know there were no chapter divisions when the scriptures were written. Do you know that? There wasn't chapter 3, chapter 4. That's an insertion by scholars for reference purpose. Imagine if there's no referencing. Phew, we look for a scripture. Hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. <laughs> so they put numbers and verses to help us study. So when you read your chapters, sometimes it's not good to stop where the chapter stops, but you must carry on reading. So he has this powerful example of Barnabas giving money to the apostles' feet, and the story carries on. Now here's where I really want to get to. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Please, you must listen carefully. The story is very detailed. And he came back, sorry, and he kept back some of the price for himself 
with his wife's full knowledge. Ish. Everyone say ish. When a husband does something wrong and the wife concurs. And bringing a portion of it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. You must have seen Barnabas do this, right? I will do the same. Sell my property. I will not bring all the proceeds as he did, but I will pretend that they are the full proceeds. And I will put the money also at the apostles' feet. Right? But Peter said, okay, let me just read the story before I preach. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the who? To the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to, to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. A great fear came on all who heard it. Young men got up and covered him. In this culture, the apostles don't do funerals. The youth does it. The young men got up and covered him. And after carrying him out, they, the young men, the youth, the youth department did funerals. How's that? The young men buried him. They were not concerned, right? Verse 7. Now they elapsed an interval of about three hours. Everyone say three hours. Elapsed an interval of three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Right? Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed? Everyone say agreed. He says, you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, great fear. Everyone say great fear. Great fear came upon the whole church and over all who heard these words. And at the hands of the apostles, mighty signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of them, but none of the rest dared associate with them. That's the apostles. However, the people held them how? In, in high esteem. And the, all the more believers, sorry, all the more believers in the Lord, multitude of men and women were constantly added to their numbers to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets, laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at the least, by at least his shadow might fall on any of them. And the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Marvelous story, right? The story of Ananias and Sapphira is a very, very sad one. It sits within the context of the church growing in oneness. Everyone say oneness. You cannot understand the story in its isolation. The story context here is... The brethren were very focused on the needs that one had for the other. 
There was commonality. There was oneness. Great spirit of community. Great spirit of love was prevailing. Barnabas was a Levite. And biblically speaking, Levites were not allowed to own land. Because God said you will not have an inheritance in terms of real estate. Because I am your inheritance. Okay, what he was doing with the plot of land, I don't know. But uh, in time, according to Numbers, some Levites were, Numbers 18, if you study it, some Levites were permitted to own land. But my point is this. He had Levitical heritage, Barnabas, previously Joseph. His heritage were Levites that know how to disconnect from the earth and put their trust in God. So for him, it's no problem then. Even if I own it, I will dispossess myself of the thing that I possess, lest the thing I possess possesses me. I possess it, it doesn't possess me. I freely demonstrate that by my willingness to give up the entirety of the proceeds of the sale of this property, and I'm willing to finance apostolic work. I will lay it at the feet of the apostles. Ananias and Sapphira check this whole scene being played out before them. They, they surmise, I would think, well, let's copy this and let's too sell our piece of land and bring part of the proceeds of the sale and lay that at the feet of the apostles and they die. They die because they gave, not because they did not give. There's a whole segment of the church that's not giving. Yet these are giving and God kills them. Tell your neighbor, offerings are dangerous. If you don't get this thing right, they could spell death. Might not be literal, might not be physical, but I think death to destiny, death to movement. Yes, one brother give him an exponential growth of Barnabas from you. I demonstrated this to you. Exponentially he grows into his calling as an apostle. Right? One guy moves forward. Other people doing almost the same thing are regressed. One guy is given life to testimony. Or destiny, the other destiny is killed, snuffed out. And please notice, this is at the earliest point in salvation history. This is early church. This is Acts chapter 5. It's not Acts 20 something. This is early days. You see, God wants to snuff out a thing in its earliest, at its incipient level of development, lest if left unattended, this thing grows as a culture within the church and becomes impossible to deal with later. You see, if you don't pick up the mood of God in this, you would stand back and say, God, wow, Holy Ghost falling in Acts 2, Peter preaching, Acts, Acts 3, the lame man at the, uh, the gate, beautiful being healed, many people coming to the Lord, Acts 4, powerful things happening. Why are you going to kill people in Acts 5? <laughs> Why such an antithesis? Why such a... A, a, a contrary flow of, of, of circumstances. See, God wants to correct error at its infancy. Before error grows maturely and it's difficult for God to deal with error. Let me just say this. The apostolic reformation must even touch your finances. The church today is being reformed. Everyone say yes. You cannot transform society unless the church itself is reformed. But we're reforming theology. Doctrine is being reformed. It's being brought back to accuracy. Every facet of church life. But so too must finances be reformed. After, I'm, in my heart today, I'm after 
accuracy. Everyone say accuracy. What were the issues here? Why was God so angry? Why such a severe judgment? Number one, they gave a false indication of the quantity of the offering. They gave it as if it were the total proceeds of the sale. But the Bible is very clear. The Bible says he kept back a part for himself. Everyone say kept back. Now the word back is the Greek phrase nofiso zomai. Nofiso zomai. When it says and an eye is kept back, it's nofiso zomai. And it literally means this. Please listen to the definition carefully. For us, it's simply he kept back. And the English doesn't do justice to what took place here. It literally means to sequestrate for oneself. That is, to embezzle or to purloin. Purloin is an old English word which means to steal. He's stealing. Everyone say he's stealing. Right? And sequestration in our modern day, properties or assets are sequestrated usually after legal process. Right? Uh, your property or your assets can be sequestrated by law in order to pay off outstanding debts. So when it says he kept back, he sequestrated to pay off other debts. But that's not wrong in itself. But don't do that and still give the impression that this is the entire proceeds of this. His sin wasn't that he gave. His sin was that he gave hypocritically and not truthfully. Tell someone, give truthfully. If you're going to say, give an offering, then give an offering. If you say, I'm going to give a tithe, then give a tithe, which is 10% of gross earnings. But don't call a tithe, don't call an offering a tithe and, an, and vice versa. If you say, I'm giving X amount, and you're simply making a statement to build up spiritual credibility or reputation in the eyes of people, but you don't follow suit or follow through with that commitment, then you're giving, you're giving hypocritically. The motivation here was wrong. Not so? The motivation was completely wrong. So, nofi so zomai means to sequestrate for oneself, to embezzle or to steal, to keep back that which belongs to another. It also means to withdraw, listen to this, to withdraw covertly. Now, there's a difference between covert and overt. Overt is obvious, in your face, blatant. Covert is under the radar. It's, in fact, some of the difference. Some of the definitions say surreptitiously or clandestinely. In other words, you do it with a style, undetected. You, you, you're presenting one picture, but you're robbing God very, very skillfully in another domain. And that is what is the problem here. God looked upon this and he was very, very angry. Now, I have determined I never ever want to rob God. Will a man rob God, Malachi says? Remember Malachi 3, 8 and 9? Will you rob God? How wherein have we robbed you? The people say. He says in tithes and in, in offerings. So when you withhold the tithe and the offerings, it's equated to robbery of, of God. And like I explained to you previously, I think I mis-explained I mis, mis it the last time, but the withholding of the tithe and offering is robbery. Right? Is robbery. And robbers do not come clandestinely. Robbers come in your face and say, give me the money. Right? Thieves break in and steal while you're sleeping. Okay? But do you know there's also a text, remember at one of the Passovers, where the people were commercializing in the temple? 
and selling doves and all sorts of things. And Jesus fashioned a whip. And what did he do? He drove the money changers out of the temple. And he says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it what? A den of thieves. Everyone say den of thieves. Jesus did not call the house a house. He called it a den. The word den means cave. The house of God can degenerate into a cave. If the people in the house rob God, thieve, then the house is not the house. The house has become a gathering of, and, and Jesus said, now watch, for them, in that context of Jesus, they were selling stuff to enrich themselves. And he says, the house has now become a house of thieves. But if you want to understand thieving and robbery, publicly, it's equated to sequestration, to withholding that which is due to the Lord, but you keep it back. Okay? And the scripture is very clear. No thief will inherit the kingdom of God. No thief will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? So I want to encourage you to repent of your robbery and your, and your thieving. Now, when he came and he put the money at the apostles' feet, Peter immediately says to him, Peter is filled with prophetic revelation, and he asked him a question. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? Listen carefully. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? Do you know that it's possible for your thought domain to be inserted with a satanic thought? It's possible for your mind to have satanic thought insertions if you don't guard your mind. Right? If you don't fill your mind with God's word, if you don't fill your mind with God's principles, if you're not meditating on the word, I have an eight-session teaching on the principle of meditating on the word, eight sessions there on the table. If you're not following that process, filling your mind with the word of God, a vacuous mind is a fertile mind for satanic insertion of satanic thoughts. Uh, and people say this is not possible. Listen to the words of Peter. Why has who? Where did the thought come into Ananias, I better withhold some part of this money? Where did that come from? Satan engineered the thought. So, uh, Ananias and Sapphira's sin was they accommodated the thought. Right? Just John 13 verse 2, I think it is. You'll see this again. Even in the life of Judas, it says the following. I think it's John 13 2. I don't have it in my notes. But years ago, I remember speaking on this. Yeah. Uh, during supper, the devil did what? Having already put what? Put into the heart of Judas to betray. Where on earth did Judas get the idea, I'm going to betray the guy for 30 pieces of silver? Where did it come from? Satan himself. The devil put that thought into the heart of Judas. Judas's problem was, instead of dealing with that thought, he accommodated it. And this is the problem with, with the sons of God today. We know what God says about a matter, but if, and here's the principle, if you sow disloyalty to the principle of God, you set up yourself for deception by the domain of darkness. If you disesteem biblical values and biblical principles, you open the door to be impacted by satanic thoughts from the realm of darkness. My point is, tell you never guard your mind. Right? Guard your mind. Set your mind on things that are above. Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2, where you are seated with, with Christ Jesus. Meditate on God's law. Think of God's way so that if ever anybody is going to have dominance to influence your thought patterns, 
It must be the spirit of the Lord and not the spirit of darkness. I'm saying my mind, repeat after me, my mind belongs to God. I'm saying my mind belongs to God. Right? And if you, if, you, if you don't fixate your mind on the word of God, you have opened room for the devil to, to impact you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, sorry, chapter 10 verse 3. We know these scriptures. I simply want to say them for the recording. Remember, we have a global audience. Zimbabwe was fantastic. Eh? I'll share with you later. It was one of the best conferences we had there. The economic deprivation is the worst ever. Wherever I've traveled in the world, it's worse in Mutare, Zimbabwe. But yet, the saints are some of the best saints globally. It's proof how that grace in an economically deprived area can lift up a people. They still remain buoyant under significant, significant challenges. You have no idea what grace can do. No idea what grace can do. But if you're willing and, oh, obedient. I want to encourage you. The moment you get a God thought, don't dismiss it. The moment you start to negotiate a God thought, it sometimes lessens in force and value until it recedes. And then you know, you're no longer willing and, and, and uh, able to obey it. Please know this. The venue of spiritual warfare is the minds of men. Where does spiritual warfare take place? In the minds of men. That's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. The next verse says, be renewed where? Be renewed in your mind or be transformed rather by the renewing of the mind if the mind is not renewed the behavior will not change this verse says second corinthians 10 3 for though we walk in the flesh we do not walk after the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses everyone say fortress old king james pulling down of strongholds right a fortress is a fortress, an impenetrable bulwark of military power that cannot be accessed. Now that can exist in the mind. That, that thinking. There are some people think so doggedly about a thing, and even if the thought pattern is in error, you can't get through to them because that mentality has become a mindset. And it's so set, nobody can move it. It's like set in concrete. Right? And, but Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the, or powerful to the destruction of fortresses. I want to encourage you, don't be, in, don't be intimidated by a satanic thought. Don't be intimidated to think that you are less than its power to dictate to your life. No, you're not. If you employ the process of biblical meditation on truth, you can dislodge a satanic thought. I will encourage you, the moment an alien thought comes into your being, you know it's alien. You know it's foreign. It's a virus in the system. You are arrested immediately. You say, I, 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 I pull you down by the authority of the name of, of Jesus and his word and his blood. I pull you down. Don't entertain it. And then suddenly, behaviorally, you're practicing the thing, right? If you entertain the thought, the thought becomes a fortress that dictates life. And that you must, you must, not, you must not permit. Verse 5, we are destroying speculations. Everyone say speculations. 
know the word speculation in the Greek is logismos, which means a computation or the act of reasoning. Right? Many people, when you speak, they compute according to human reasoning. They say, this can't be of God. And that forms a resistance and a barrier to the reception of truth. We are destroying, you want to say destroy the speculation. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought, yes, every thought captive. Taking every thought captive. A thought here is described as a lofty thing. In the Old Testament, they destroyed the high places, which were places of worship of foreign deities. Today, high places exist not on hills, but high places exist in the minds of men. Because a lofty place, any thought that contradicts God's way is a high place in you. So you go up in your mind to say, God, what thought patterns are there that are antagonistic to your way? I need to do what? I pull them down and I take them captive. Tell someone, take it captive. You take it captive to what? To the obedience of Christ. What is that thought preventing? Obedience to Christ. If you want to resolve the matter of obedience, resolve the matter of taking thoughts captive that prevent the obedience. Yes, Ananias. I don't doubt initially, his initial motivation was, I need to give the entirety of the proceeds of the sale of this property to the feet of the apostles. I don't doubt that was the initial inclination. But guess what? You see, if you leave enough time before God gives you a thought, before you act on the thought, the time gap gives the enemy a chance to insert. To insert. It's a, why has Satan filled your heart? Full, everyone say, filled your heart. That's a, that's a valid thing. Why has, in other words, why did you permit that, Ananias? Even if it came, what you should have done is employ the scripture. I pulled down that thought in the name of the Lord. I'm not going to allow anything to prevent my obedience. Come on, church. If we're going to be an Elon Bethanan, there has to be reflexive obedience. As God says it to you, you do it. Yeah. As God says it to you, you do it. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you. Whatever he says, Mary said to the people, they were, when the wine ran out in John 2, and uh, they were struggling for wine, and Mary said to the attendants, whatever he says, just do it. Tell your neighbor, just do it. Come on, be a Nike in the spirit. Say, just do it. Whatever he says, just do it. You know, I'm finding such joy in this. Sometimes when you disobey God, right, when you disobey God, and you give enough time between the act of obedience from the time you receive the instruction. You're leaving a window to be infected by satanic thoughts. But even if that's the case, I want to encourage you. If the thought comes, say, no, I'm resolved to obey. I'm resolved to obey God. Now, I told you how I love to bless these guys at airports in charge of the, the toilets, right? And uh, I normally, I go prepared now with enough change in my wallet because you encounter them. At every airport you go, you must go to the toilet, and these guys are there. Welcome to my office. Welcome to my office, they say. And you go and you do your thing. And I always bless them, which is a significant. What am I doing? I'm practicing completing the grace of giving. Say complete the grace of giving. Come on, say it again. Complete. This is what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said to them in 2 Corinthians 8, 6. He said, I will send Titus to you. And if you receive the sent one that I sent you receiving me, this is an ap apostolic representation. 
You are deficient in the grace of giving, but he will complete it. You know what the word complete there means? I studied it. I want to share it maybe. I don't know when. But you know what the word means? It means practice it repetitively. Don't leave a gap. Don't let a week go by without you giving something away. Practice. You are the distribution center of the Lord. You are the conduit of the Lord. Things come to you to go out from you. Amen? Come on, practice giving. Tell someone, practice it. Help a brother out. Help a sister out. Fulfill a need here. Right? Leave your home every day. Say, what can I give away today? My time, uh, my, my, my skill, my talent, money, uh, a piece of clothing, whatever. Give something away. Practice completing the grace. Okay? Now, do you know that? So they misrepresented the quantity of the offering. Right? Gee, time is gone. Secondly, they misrepresented or dishonored the representation of the Lord in their midst. Guess what Peter said to them? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? Peter said, for you have not lied to men, you have lied to God. They failed to see that Peter, in terms of spiritual leadership, together with the rest of the apostles, were actually representative of the Lord in their midst. Right? And they failed to see that reality. Peter says, you're not lying to me, you're lying to God. But what is Peter subtly saying? You fail to see me as the representation of God. Yeah? You're thinking you're lying to a mere man. Not lying to a mere man, you're lying to God. Okay? So, People that fail to see the representational principle that leaders represent God will always fail financially in terms of honoring God in the leader because they fail to see the connection. Okay? They fail to see the connection. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 8? Just read it quickly. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 and 2. How does Paul uh, characterize the grace of God upon Macedonia? These guys were deeply poor, right? Now please listen, church. Now, brethren... We wish to make known to you what? Everyone say the grace of God. So I want to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches in Macedonia. Verse 2. In greater deal of affliction and the abundance of their joy and deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord. Now remember I told you, he first references, I want to make known to you what? Grace! Grace upon Macedonia, deeply poor but highly liberal, right? Deeply poor, highly liberal. Deep affliction, but some of the most joyous people on the planet. And what does he say? According to the ability, beyond the ability, they gave with a gun, with someone with a gun to their heads? No, this word own accord means willingly, uh, because we want to, we give. And notice the next verse. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. The context of 2 Corinthians 8 is the gathering of money for the relief of the saints. And they said, no, don't forbid us, Paul, based on our poverty, not to forgive. We know we're poor, but we beg you that we will be part of this administration of our own accord. But why is all that possible? Look at the next verse. Why is all that possible? This as not we as expected, but they first, everyone say first, that's an apostolic concept. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us. Everyone say, and to us. 
You see, you can't just be given to the Lord. You must be given to the representation of the Lord in your midst. Right? They gave themselves to the Lord and to us. Do you know what we've been trying to do in the church historically? We've been trying to ask people to give money to God where people haven't been given to God in the first place, in their hearts. Nor given to the representation of God in their midst, which are the, the spiritual leaders. Not so? And so be given to the Lord. You see, if you're completely given to the Lord and you're given to the servants of the Lord, giving money will not be a problem because your heart is already open. And Ananias had this problem. He could not see Peter as the representation of the Lord because Peter says to him, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. If he saw God in the man, it wouldn't have been the case. Right? If his heart was completely given, so deficient offerings manifest a deficient heart. One that is not entirely given over to the Lord. Remember, your offering must reflect your heart. What you give must reflect you. Your image must be in your offering. Right? Remember I taught you this principle, it's not the offering that validates the giver. It's not the gift that validates the giver. It's the giver that validates the gift. You can't be divorced from what you give. What you give must typify and represent all that you, you are. So then, if that is true, what you give will symbolically represent your, your heart. So if the heart is not given, neither will the, the, will the wallet or the bank account. The issue is don't address the giving, address the heart. Giving is always symptomatic of the state of the heart. Giving money is a reliable estimate of spirituality, I believe. According to Matthew 6 and other portions of Scripture, it tells me where you are in the realm of the Spirit. And last time I spoke to you about giving from the position of, of revelation. Okay? They gave with wrong motivation. So they dishonored, they rather misrepresented the quantity of what they gave. In that they gave hypocritically. You know what they're doing essentially? We're giving. Oh, Barnabas gave. Wow. We give too. Same like him. Track of land we sell. We keep back part. We're giving to be seen to be compliant within the corporate culture. Because if we don't give, it'll be, wow, he doesn't give. So we'll give, but it's not thoroughly representative of corporate culture. Remember what's happening here is, I won't teach it now, but maybe next week. They gave in complete contradiction, or rather, they gave and did not give completely in complete contradiction for the prevailing work of God that was happening in the community of the saints at that point in time. They were going contraflow. Everyone say contraflow. There was widespread giving in the church. Barnabas is singled out as a classic example. They do it, but do it hypocritically just for image. Just for our name to be there. Oh, we also came forward and we gave. But you gave and you died. It's dangerous to give inaccurately. I'm talking to givers now. If you're not giving, you must come back, come in this zone now. Those of us who are giving, give accurately. Don't give hypocritically. Give truthfully. Give as a reflection of your heart given to the Lord. Give with this understanding. I will give to move God's purposes and the next move will be mine into my destiny like Barnabas. Barnabas goes forward, and Ananias and Sapphira go, go backward, all because of wrong, inaccurate giving. 
Here's a, a verse of scripture, Proverbs 25, verse 14. Do we have an NIV version on there? We don't. We need to get one. Let me read the NASB. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts in his gifts falsely. That's a powerful scripture there. You see, clouds and wind should have rain. But the man that boasts in his gifts falsely has got no rain. He's like a cloud without rain. The, the, check the basic, the Bible in basic English and the NIV says this more accurately. As clouds and wind without rain, so is one that takes credit for an offering not given. Take the credit for an offering not given. The NIV, like clouds and wind without rain, is the one who boasts of gifts never given. Boasting falsely in what is given. Okay? Boastly, falsely in what is given. So, they disesteem God. They dishonor the apostles or the spiritual leaders who are the representation of God. You are, they're also dishonoring the church, the corporate culture, the body of Believers in their midst, okay? Remember the sin of Achan? He kept back parts of goods he should have given at the conquest of Jericho. And what happened? It brought the judgment of God upon him and his entire family. How is it that you come so close and you, you taste the first tastings of conquest, possession of the land? God says, don't touch Jericho. Don't touch Jericho. Touch everything else, but not Jericho. I don't know how, how old this guy was, Aiken, but let's say he was journeying for 20 years or more. I'm not sure if he came out with the original batch, but he must have been quite old because he had children. Right? You're journeying for so long, you finally cross the Jordan, now it's time to take possession, and you fail God financially, and God kills you. All of that, for what? You come so close, for what? So close, Everyone say, so close for what? So close to die? Travel so far to be expunged? And the Lord said to me, no, no, no. We've come too far to fail now. Too far to fail now. I had a vivid dream. I related to you on Friday evening. And I couldn't sleep there afterwards. God speaks very powerfully to me in dreams. I was running the Comrades Marathon. I've run two before. So I know, I know the draw. The entire night seemed like a race. From the time I slept, the whole dream, the whole sleeping process seemed like the start of the race until I got up. Have you ever had that dream that just consumed your whole, your whole sleep? And various challenges in the race. I'm running, running, running. And then I felt like I was about to give up, but God gave me second wind, second breath. And I was running towards the end of the race, but there seemed like a T-junction. With no marshals or anything, so I decided I don't know which way to go. I, no, no runners ahead of me, no crowd. I decided on one particular route. As I'm going there, there, a marshal holds a D sign. A D sign is disqualified. D sign. I'm saying, why? Why am I disqualified? I'm arguing with him. He says, you took the wrong, the wrong route. I said, but there's no marshals here to indicate where to go. He says, if you knew the regulations, you should know the route. You should have known which way to go. And he says, I don't see a number on the front of your vest. To run comrades, you must be numbers at the back and the front any any race you must have a numbered front he says where's the number in the front of your chest he says, oh my oversight and i said okay what can i do i'm disqualified but it was right at peter marisburg from durban to peter marisburg it was right at the finish and i got up and i started to pray 
I said, God, what meaneth these things? Should, will I run so far and come right to the end of the process, waiting to cross the tape, and you say, D, disqualified? God spoke to me. I wrote some notes. God spoke to me about the front, guarding the heart, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of, of faith. Okay? God spoke to me about not being so zealous to run without regulation, without run, running without knowing the rules, because you're going to expend a lot of energy without fulfilling biblical protocol, and you come to the end, and you're disqualified. Tell someone we've come too far to be disqualified. It really, really troubled me, really, really troubled me, right? But I felt it was a dream for me and a dream for the house, and the Lord says to me, get accuracy in every department of your life. Tell someone, be accurate in every department of your life. You see, I'll, I'll carry on. This is part one of the Ananias Sapphira, Sapphira saga. We conclude this. In fact, I haven't got to where I really want to be and teach in terms of the notes. So can you all stand? I want to encourage you, if you've heard the Lord speak to you, next week in part, amongst a host of other things, but in part, I want to speak about spouses, not one spouse agreeing to the other spouse's disobedience, because both of you get judged. God will need you, if one spouse commits an error and the other spouse not, the other spouse is clean before God and will not be judged. But that other spouse will experience the consequences, practical outcomes of the failure to observe biblical principle. Okay? So it's important for both spouses to be on the same page in their levels of obedience. Amen? So please, you must come back next week and I'll, I'll speak more, more to that. The Lord said to me, do you know that when the tabernacle was erected in the wilderness... First act, uh, was it Abihu and Nadib, the sons of Aaron, remember? They offered strange fire, the Bible says. And God killed the boys. The temple is just done. First offering, God comes. See, God always snuffs out inaccuracy at the start of a process, like He's doing here. So I want to encourage you just to lift your hands before the Lord. You know what the Lord is saying to me as I'm hearing him in the spirit? God is saying, uh, gate ministry is Durban Central. There's potential for great forward thrust or great regression now today. You're either going to set a process in motion through your acts of obedience or you're going to retreat backwards. But it all has got to do with your view to finances and how you use that to please God. But I'm, I want to submit to all of us. We are going forward. Amen. We're getting our act together. Come on, repeat after me. Say, we'll be getting our act together. And let me just tell you, this is not a word of judgment. This is a word of great love and peace for everyone. We are saying, God, we want to, you know, I can't get over the, the exponential growth of Barnabas in the scriptures. This man just rockets into his, into his predetermined destiny. From whatever he was, he just, he just uh, goes there at an, at an alarming rate. So I want you just to pray. Join the hands of the person next to you. Grace and peace be upon us all. Great grace and peace be upon us all. 
I prophesy to you, now church, that uh, if, if you are guilty of some of the things I've mentioned, and that there is repentance in your heart, the Lord says to you, I have forgiven you. My mercy and my grace is here. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. I really mean that I hear the Lord say, peace be to you, my son. Peace be to you, my daughter. My mercy, my grace is here. You might have embarked upon inaccurate levels of giving, but today the Lord says that is a thing of the past. Today I set you off into a new trajectory of growth, into your calling, into the destiny for which I have in store for you. For spouses, I will encourage you. You see, the Bible says he did it with his wife's full knowledge. Somebody there should have had the mind of Christ to say, no, honey, this is wrong. No husband, no wife, this is wrong. But where there's two or three agreeing on the same error, the same judgment comes upon them. I will command spouses today, check your spouse if you're violating biblical protocol. Abigail, in the book of, of Samuel, had the savvy enough to try and convince Nabal to be kind to David. But the, his name means a fool. He was a fool. But she, being governed by the Spirit of the Lord, refused to be the victim of her husband's judgment. And she gave gifts to, to David before he came. And David dealt kindly with her. But Nabal eventually was killed by the Lord. Amen. That will not be part of this group. Because I sense grace here. I sense repentance here. Amen. Let's lift up our hands. Hold a person's hand next to you and lift them up jointly to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We're overwhelmed by what you have said. We seek your forgiveness. We seek your grace. We seek your favor. Forgive us for handling thoughtlessly and lightheartedly the whole matter of financial offerings. Today, we want to make a resolution in our hearts that we will always honor you, always honor your servants, and always honor the body of Christ in what you're doing in and amongst us. Today we resolve we will not act contrary and contraflow to the prevailing spirit and to the prevailing work that you're doing within the body of Christ. Today we rejoin our hearts to your purposes. We say yes to your will, yes to your way, yes to your desire to bless all of us financially, yes to your intent that we will all be well taken care of. I thank you that every need in this house will be met on a personal level, in the domestic front, in people's homes, there will not be any unwarranted, protracted need. But I declare today that God, you are our source, you are our provider. And I pray, let the Lord supply needs now according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever the need might be. I pray for a dislodgement of satanic thoughts. I pray for the pulling down of, of mentalities and thought patterns that have entrenched themselves within our heart and our thinking. And these have become fortresses. Today we pull down those high places in Jesus' name. Let your, let your word have its predominant effect in shaping our thoughts, in shaping our thinking, I pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. May the Lord bless you, church. May the Lord richly bless you. May the Lord lift up the light of His countenance. And may the Lord shine and, and smile upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord bless your coming in and your going out. And may the Lord give you His peace and His authority 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. I declare that today your days of lack are over. I declare that today you're going to position yourself accurately by the grace of God, like Barnabas did, in reference to giving, honoring God, because this house will be an Elon Beth Hanan, an oak of the house of grace that will resource the needs of the kingdom for whenever they arise. I declare that as a fact over this house. Father, we bless you. Father, we magnify your name. Come on, lift up your voice and just worship him. We thank you for a new day. It's a new day in God. It's a new day in God. Hallelujah. Ananias and Sapphira days are over. But there's a new phase of a Barnabas spirit of gratuity, of generosity that gives to finance apostolic work in our day. Let the purposes of God prevail for every single one of us, Father. Look upon this house, Father. Look upon it. May we be richly resourced for everything we need for life and for godliness, God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.